still have your Bibles out and turn to Isaiah chapter 38, please. We're continuing our study in Isaiah. Last week, we studied chapter 36 and 37. And if you'll remember, we saw the battle for trust. Uh, which was waged through the speeches of the enemy and the responses of God's people. And it was a great story and it was a, and it was a great lesson for us about our internal monologue and how that battle for trust is waged by speeches of the enemy on the inside in our response. And it's ultimately won as we, as we listen to God's word and trust in God's work. Well, it was a great lesson, but it was also a very long and detailed text, and it ended up being a long and very detailed sermon. Imagine that from me, a long and detailed sermon. No. So I determined this week, it's not going to happen again. I determined this week, Rather than doing chapter 38 and 39 together like I intended to do, I'm just going to do 38. We're going we're to cut it to just one chapter. It's still a good chunk, but we're just going to do 38. It's one clear story about King Hezekiah, king of Judah, dealing with the news about a terminal illness and his impending death at just 39 years old. How many of you here are in your late 30s? Raise your hand. Mid to late 30s. Caleb Bohan. So just imagine if Caleb got a diagnosis of a, of a terminal illness and God told Caleb, you're going to die. At just 39 years old or however old Caleb is. So take a look there in chapter 38. And I'm just dealing with the major sections here. What, what we see in this one very good story about King Hezekiah is in verse 1, we see the struggle with sickness and death. And then in verse 2 and 3, uh, a prayer, a prayer of faith that he would be healed and delivered from death. And then God answers that prayer in verse 4 through 8. Through a, a miracle, he gives him 15 additional years of life. And then he gives him a sign uh, a, uh, that this promise is going to come true. Because apparently on the palace steps, uh, it sort of operated like a, a sundial. And maybe... As King Hezekiah was dealing with this sickness, he probably looked out the window a lot and was just suffering in this sickness. And then even as he contemplated this prophecy of his impending death, uh, he, he probably looked at those steps a lot. And God said, the next time you look at those steps, I'm going I'm to show you, I'm going to give you a sign that this promise of, of 15 additional years is going to come true because I'm going to turn that back. And so whatever God did, it was a miraculous way of, of causing either the light to reflect, reflect or something to where the shadow actually went back 10 steps. 
instead of moving forward like it typically does. And so, so Hezekiah was thrilled. And then you'll see in verse nine through 20, he writes a psalm of thanksgiving. And at the end of this psalm of thanksgiving, he says that uh, he's so excited about this. Look at verse 20. The Lord will save me and he and we, we, all of us, we're going to play my music on stringed instruments all the days of our lives at the house of the Lord. So he invites Ray to come. Ray plays the guitar and they sing all kinds of good music in praise to the Lord. You know, and I thought to myself, this is great. This is fantastic because... This is really going to be helpful for our church because, frankly, we have been going through a lot of sickness and death recently in in our church, haven't we? So I commenced my study, not realizing that I had started my study by making one of the uh, big mistakes in reading the Bible. I began with a man-centered interpretation. I came to this scripture sort of knowing in advance what I'm going to get out of it and then looking for that. And, and I wanted it because I wanted to find out basically how you and I can deal with suffering and, and death and we, I started with a man-centered interpretation. And frankly, we do this a lot. And it's, it's not just you, it's me. I proved it this week. I literally spent a couple of days this week studying and had to throw it all away at the end. Well, not all of it, but had to throw a lot of it away at the end because we find stuff in the Bible like a, a, a guy named Jabez, right? Praying for more land and more opportunity and we take that and we turn it into the prayer of Jabez. And everybody goes around praying the prayer of Jabez so that God will expand their borders and increase their opportunities. And we take the Bible and we, we turn it into a bunch of quick self-improvement fixes. And that's what we do with the Bible. And how I approached Isaiah 38 this week was going to quickly deteriorate into the prayer of Hezekiah that's going to earn all of us 15 additional years <laughs> on our life. I didn't mean to do that, but I've got friends like Craig Sweeney who sat right there, who's got a terminal illness, and I, I've got friends like like Joy O'Neill who's suffering from COVID in the hospital right now, and her husband Kevin who died last week. I've got friends in this room who are suffering with debilitating diseases and genetic abnormalities and who are suffering with all kinds of sickness every day and pain. And we would like to be delivered from that stuff, wouldn't we? So if there's a prayer of Hezekiah, and I want to pray it for me and I want to pray it for you too. Problem is there's no prayer of Hezekiah. Because chapter 38 doesn't exist in a vacuum. In fact, chapter 38 is only half the story. It isn't complete without chapter 39. And even though I wanted to shorten the text, 
It's incomplete. And it misses the point. The point is that 38 shows God's goodness to good King Hezekiah. And then chapter 39 shows behind the scenes that good King Hezekiah is just like the rest of us. And good King Hezekiah isn't the great king who's going to deliver God's people from their enemies. We need one greater than Hezekiah. If all we had is 1 through 37 and then 38 of Isaiah, listen, we would understand why God healed Hezekiah and gave him a reprieve of 15 years. We we would understand that. Because Hezekiah was arguably, other than David, the greatest king that Israel and Judah ever had. So if you, if you would follow me there, go back to 2 Kings chapter 18 for a minute. You'll see a record of good King Hezekiah. And if, if we came up to Isaiah 38 and this is what we knew about Hezekiah, then we would be like, well, of course God healed him and gave him additional years. Of course God answered his prayer. Look at the record, the historical record about 2 Kings 18, about Hezekiah. Hezekiah, king of Judah, was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 29 years. That means that he died when he was 54 years old. So back up from that, about 15 years, and we're looking at Hezekiah uh, around 29 years, uh, uh, pardon me, 39 years old. Verse 3, Hezekiah did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that David his father had done. Verse 4 tells us that he removed the high places and the pillars, which means that Hezekiah put a stop to the idolatry in Israel. And look at verse 5. King Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments of the Lord, commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him wherever he went out, and he prospered. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and would not serve him. So if we, if that's all we knew about King Hezekiah, we would know that he was one of the greatest kings of Judah. And God keeps promising from chapter 1 of Isaiah all the way up, he keeps promising, I'm going to send you a son. A child is going to be born. He's going to be the king of my people. He is going to be great and he is going to deliver you from your enemies. And then there's King Hezekiah who trusts in the Lord, who obeys the commandments, 
who gets rid of all of the idolatry in Judah. And then, when superpower Assyria and their arrogant king Sennacherib is camped outside of the city with 200,000 troops. Hezekiah prays to God, and what does God do? God wipes them out in one night. 185,000 dead soldiers. Hezekiah must be the man. He is the son, the king, that God has promised who's going to deliver us from our enemies, i.e. Assyria. Can you see how they're thinking this? Then chapter 39. Yeah. The rest of the story. I mean, even if you knew about this disease, and then Hezekiah tells the story about how he prayed, and then God told him, I'm going to give you 15 more years, and then proved it with the whole sun thing on the steps, you're like, of course, you're the man. But then there's chapter 39. I'm sorry, I can't stop at 38. It's not the whole story. Isaiah 38 does not exist to teach you and I how to pray the prayer of Hezekiah so that we can be delivered from our sickness and have additional years on our life. Isaiah chapter 38 and 39 exists to show us that good King Hezekiah, who is blessed by God, who does obey God, is just like everyone else. He's not the promised king who can deliver Judah from their biggest enemy, which is not Assyria. It's chapter 38, death, and chapter 39, sin. Who's your biggest enemy? It's not your neighbor who mows your lawn too short. It's not your neighbor who has all those cars that park in front of your house. That's not your enemy. It's not the government. It's not your sister-in-law who is annoying. That's not a personal example. (laughs) Promise, wasn't thinking that. Your greatest enemy is not Assyria, it's death and sin in that order. At least according to 38 and 39, because that's, do you see in 38 the struggle against death? And then do you see in 39 the struggle against sin? God wants to show us Hezekiah struggles against death, just like you do who can't save you from it. Hezekiah falls to sin 
just like you do, he can't save you from it. He's not the son, the king, the servant that I'm talking about. There's going to be one, a greater Hezekiah, and he's coming. I promise. And by the way, I'll give you a sign of that promise. The sign is the Holy Spirit of God will come down on this one and anoint him and he will do things that no one else can do. And Jesus did. See, Isaiah 38 and 39 shows us the gospel of King Jesus. Because in Isaiah 38, whereas Hezekiah and every single person in this room has to struggle against sickness and death, even if we have the most healthy lives, friends, all of us are going to die. Death is undefeated, except for once. Hezekiah and all of us, little Hezekiahs, we all struggle against death. But here's the gospel. King Jesus is immortal. He's immortal. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is that the immortal King Jesus died for us. Our great immortal King came down, took on the flesh of humanity, So that he could die. Jesus can't die unless he takes on humanity. So the Son of God became the Son of Man so that he could die, so that he can deliver us from death and then give us eternal life. And it's a a whole lot better than a 15-year reprieve. The life that he gives us is eternal. That's what Romans chapter 5 says. Listen to this truth from God's word. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For once scarcely dies for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, 
Much more now we are reconciled, saved by His life. The gospel of King Jesus is that the immortal King Jesus died for us to deliver us from death and give us eternal life. That's the end of chapter 38. Chapter 39, the gospel of King Jesus in chapter 39 is that King Jesus, unlike King Hezekiah, Take a look at chapter 39. Who when tempted in Isaiah 39 with an envoy from Babylon who came and presented him with gifts because they had heard that he was sick and he had recovered. Hezekiah takes the opportunity not just to show and tell. He he wasn't just like, hey, come over to the temple, see all my stuff. Hezekiah was trying to enter into an alliance with Babylon against whom? Assyria. He was wanting to shore up his protection against big bad Assyria by entering into an alliance with Babylon. So he takes them to the temple and shows them his adequacy. Shows them the treasure house, and everything that he's got to say. You know, we're no small potatoes over here in Judah. You should enter into an alliance with us. And then when Isaiah hears about this, look at verse 3. Isaiah the prophet came to King Hezekiah and said to him, What did the men say? And from when did they come to you? Hezekiah said, well, they came to me from a far country, from Babylon. And he said, what have they seen in your house? And Hezekiah answered, well, they saw all that's in my house. There's nothing in my storehouses that I didn't show them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord of hosts. By the way, the Lord of hosts isn't a name that just gets thrown around. Do you understand what the Lord of hosts mean? the Lord of the heavenly armies, the one you should be trusting rather than making an alliance with the armies of Babylon against the enemy that you think you have in Assyria. Now, you have a greater alliance with the God of the heavenly armies. Hear the word of the Lord of the heavenly armies. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house that which your fathers have stored up until this day shall be carried to Assyria? Nope. Babylon. They're using you, Hezekiah. They just came to see your stuff. And you threw the doors open to them. Because you're Trust is in the wrong place. You're looking for the king of the hosts of Babylon to 
protect you against the king of the hosts of Assyria. What you need is the king of the heavenly host protect you not only from these earthly enemies, but from your greatest enemy, and that is the army of sin inside of you that has caused you to distrust the Lord and make much of your stuff. Everything is going to be carried to Babylon. Nothing's going to be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons, listen to this. Verse 7, some of your own sons, think about your sons. Okay, let's stretch it out because this took about 105 years to happen here. Some of your grandsons, you got grandkids, I do, I love them. They're awesome. Got one grandson on the way, by the way. I think that's the second time I've made that announcement. Might be excited about that. Some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, we're emphasizing this point, shall be taken away and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. You're going to be conquered by Babylon. How does Hezekiah respond to that? Good king Hezekiah says, the word of the Lord that you've spoken is good. For he thought, there will be peace and security in my day. Take that the best way you want to. God's word is always good. Hezekiah was glad for the peace and security in his day. But doesn't that sound like he's like, at least it's going to be peaceful while I'm alive. How self-centered. Chapter 39, good king Hezekiah is awfully proud and awfully self-centered, don't you think? See, just take the chapter divisions and throw them away. They're largely unhelpful. If this was just one chapter, we would see the whole thing. We'd be like, oh yeah, chapter 39. It's all one story. We've got to have the whole thing. God's trying to show us here that good King Hezekiah is a sinner just like I am. He struggles against pride. He struggles against selfishness just like I do. He can't save me from death. And he can't save me from sin. But there's coming a son, a king, a servant who's the greater Hezekiah, who, just like he was immortal, King Jesus is also sinless. Paul says, he was tempted in all the ways that you're tempted. Fear, lust, greed, selfishness, pride. He was tempted with all of those things, yet... Without sin. Great King Jesus is sinless. That's not the gospel. Jesus' immortality and Jesus' sinlessness is just a testimony to his godness. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that the immortal Jesus died for us and then gives us life. The gospel is that the sinless Jesus became sin for us. 
delivers us from sin and gives us righteousness. His righteousness based on his faithfulness that is never tainted by unfaithfulness, pride, and selfishness. Isn't that good? That is way better than the prayer of Hezekiah, friends. So how do we respond to Isaiah 38 and 39 at that Google Earth view? I know, I know, I normally read and deal with as much of the text as I can, and this morning I'm just pointing at it. I I hate that. You know I hate that. But just leave it there and look at the both sides of the story and then say, okay, what does that mean for us? Now we don't go running out every time we get a, a bad diagnosis and start trying to figure out how to pray the prayer of Hezekiah. Here's what, here's what the gospel does for those of us who are trusting Jesus, trusting great King Jesus, because we're still in a struggle with death and sin, death and sin. But our trust in Jesus changes that dramatically, right? Here's what our trust in Jesus looks like. When we're faced with our struggle with sickness and death, it looks like not being afraid. Listen, none of us wants to suffer. None of us wants, I look back and I see insomnia. I see a a man whose wife is, is racked constantly in pain because of a a spinal degeneration. I, I, I see people who, who have all kinds of diseases that are painful and difficult. Struggling against sickness and death is not that we don't feel them, it's that we have a hope beyond them and we don't have to fear death. We really don't. Why? Take a look at the psalm of thanksgiving that Hezekiah prayed. Chapter 38, verse 10 through 20. Hezekiah penned this beautiful psalm of of acknowledgement of his mortality and then thanksgiving to God for for the healing. And here's what I'm going to suggest. I'm going to suggest three things. We don't have to be afraid because... We have a greater King Jesus who can deliver us from our ultimate enemy of death. Listen to this. Why? Because he's sovereign over it. He accomplishes purposes through it. And then ultimately he will deliver us from it. Can I say those again? If you're a note taker, write them down. When I wrote them down, I was like, oh man, that is good. That is really, really good. Verse 10 through 16. King Jesus is sovereign over sickness and death. Like he, he doesn't just know about it, he controls it. Your sickness, your disease, your disability, your pain, King Jesus is sovereign over it. Number two. So why would good King Jesus ever let his people suffer? Number two. 
because he's accomplishing his purposes through it. That's verse 17. And then number three, verse 18 through 20, ultimately he will deliver us from it. And no politician, no president, no friend, family, mother, father, no king on earth can ever do that. Only King Jesus. It's, what, it's the one we got to trust. Ultimately, he will deliver us from it. So let's read this psalm of thanksgiving again. Verse 10, Hezekiah writes this. He says, I said in the middle of my days, I'm only 39 years old. Look at Caleb back there. It's the middle of his days, right? I mean, look around. There's some other gray heads here. We can tell they're almost dead. <laughs> but not Caleb. Middle of his days. I said in the middle of my days, I must depart. I'm consigned to the gates of Sheol, which is the gates of the dead, the grave. For the rest of my years, I said, I shall not see the Lord, the Lord in the land of the living. This is the land of the living right here. I shall look on no man. He's he's mourning his mortality. I shall look on no more among the inhabitants of the world. My dwellings plucked up and removed from me just like a shepherd's tent. Like, Like a weaver, I have rolled up my life and he cuts me off of the loom. From day to night, you bring me to an end. God, why are you cutting my life short? This is not okay. This is not my will. This is not fair. I'm in pain. Whatever this sickness was had something to do with boils. We see that in the footnotes. You can also read more about it in 2 Kings and in Chronicles. But he says, verse 14, uh, um, pardon me, uh, where is it? 13, I calmed myself until morning like a lion. He breaks my bones from day to night. You're going to bring me to an end like a swallow or a crane. I chirp. I moan like a dove. My eyes are weary with looking upward. Those of you who experience chronic illness, is this not your prayer? Oh, Lord, I'm oppressed. Be my pledge of safety. What shall I say? For he has spoken to me and he himself has done it. He himself has done it. I walk slowly all my years because of the bitterness of my soul. Oh, Lord, by these things men live and in all these things is the life of my spirit. Oh, restore me to health and make me live. Verse 17. Behold, it was for my welfare that I had great bitterness. See, not only is King Jesus sovereign over it, but he is accomplishing his purposes through it. God never wastes a hurt. He gets a lot of bang for his buck out of our suffering in this life. When we go through bitter things, 
you can know for sure that that bitterness is for your welfare and not only for yours, but maybe for your kids and your grandkids and maybe for your family or your co-workers to watch how a Christian suffers with the grace of a good God. You never know what God is doing when we hurt. And like John Piper says, when God does one thing, he's doing a million things all at the same time. It was for my welfare that I had great bitterness, but in love, you have delivered my life from the pit of destruction, for you have cast all my sins behind your back. Sheol, the grave, death does not thank you. Death doesn't praise you. Those who go down into the pit do not hope for your faithfulness. But the living, the living, he thanks you as I do this day. The Father makes known to the children your faithfulness. Read verse 20 with me. The Lord will save me and we will play my music on stringed instruments all the days of our lives at the house of the Lord. He says, come praise God with me in song. Why? Because, two things, God took all my sins and threw them behind his back, and two, he has given me life. Now that's the gospel, isn't it? You know what the gospel does? It gives us a song in our heart for two reasons. Because God took all of our sins and put them behind his back. And then he gave us life, and he did everything through the person and work of King Jesus, the greater Hezekiah. Ah, that's so good. What does it look like to trust King Jesus as we struggle against sickness and death? It looks like not being afraid. Because he's sovereign over it. He accomplishes his purposes through it. And he will ultimately deliver us from us. What purpose, what purpose could Jesus possibly be accomplished? through sickness and death and suffering. Romans chapter 8 tells us, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. How does that glory get revealed in us? Not just by being delivered from it, but by suffering through it. Because the suffering, Peter comes alongside of Paul and tells us that it's the suffering that causes the the silver and the gold to become refined and the dross goes away. Suffering's a great teacher, doesn't it? Or isn't it? Romans 8 goes on to say, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Circle that word good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Those whom he foreknew, he predestinated to what? To be conformed to the image of his son in order that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. What is the good that all things work together toward? The good is that you and I look like Jesus that we're conformed into his image so that Jesus has a whole family of brothers and sisters who are 
purified and bearing his image to a lost and dying world around him. Look, I don't want to suffer, but that changes my perspective on suffering. So what does it look like to actually trust the Lord? Because that's the whole theme of Isaiah. Isaiah is God saying to his people, trust me, I'm the Lord, your God. What does it look like to trust King Jesus? It looks like not being afraid of death. And most of us are. We don't need to be. Death is but a doorway. Douglas McKelvey, in his beautiful, beautiful two-volume series called Everyday Holy, writes prayers and poems and liturgies about everyday life. Here's one of them that has to do with death. And he actually wrote it for children. Douglas McKelvey writes this about death. Here's, Here's our attitude about sickness and death. Get this. Death is the great enemy of all good things, O God. And so death is my enemy too. But it is an enemy everyone must face. So make me brave. Make me be brave, not because I'm strong enough to fight and conquer death by myself, but because I know this secret. You already fought a battle against the kingdom of death, King Jesus, and you won. You one, you tore death's castle down, and now death is losing the war and will soon be destroyed forever, forever. Death wanted to make my dying the end of my story. But you said, no, this will only be the beginning of the best part of the story. And the best part will go on forever. So as death approaches... And I charge into my last battle. I will not give in to fear. For you are with me. I will take my stand upon that field of war. And in death's very face, I will proclaim my battle cry. Christus Victor. Christus Victor. Christ has conquered death. That's what it looks like to trust King Jesus as we face one of our two big enemies, death. That's chapter 38. What about chapter 39? In chapter 39, we see good King Hezekiah, kind of like bad King Hezekiah, right? He's ugly. We've all got Dirty laundry, don't we? So did he. King Hezekiah needs to be saved from his biggest enemy, just like the rest of us do, and he can't do it by himself. So what does it look like to go beyond human kings and leaders? I was talking with Bruno this week, and he immediately associated this with how many of us kind of look up to our spiritual heroes, right? I don't know who that is for you. Maybe the John Pipers or the John MacArthur's or the R.C. Sproul's of the world. But when our spiritual heroes fall, then what happens to our faith? None of us should be saying, I'm of Peter, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos. 
but all of us only, we are of King Jesus. So what does it look like to trust King Jesus as we struggle against sin? Well, if you just take a look at chapter 39 of Isaiah, what you're going to see is that when we're faced with the temptation of finding our security in people, having the right people on our side, or or maybe having the right salary, or, or maybe having the right amount in our bank account, when we're faced with the temptation of pride, when people want to come and make much of us, instead of us hurrying and scurrying them to show us their, show them our stuff. Hey, look at my work. Look at my character. Look at my kids. See, I'm a big deal. Look at my stuff. When, when we're faced with the temptation of self-centeredness and we hear about other people going through tremendous difficulty, we don't think to ourselves, Better them than me. Well, at least there's peace and security for me and my family. What we do is we follow Jesus. We follow King Jesus into a life of the opposite of all of those things. Instead of pride, we follow Jesus into a life of humility that says, I'm last. Just make me last. I only exist to make much of Christ. I only exist to be your servant. Instead of distrusting the Lord and looking for trust and security in other people and in our stuff, like like Hezekiah was doing with all of his stuff here, he, he felt pretty secure as long as he had the temple treasure. We follow Jesus into a life, not just of trusting the Lord for stuff, because that kind of still shows self-centeredness, doesn't it? We actually follow Jesus into a life of giving our stuff away for the sake of others. Rather than falling to the temptation of self-centeredness, we follow Jesus into a life of others-mindedness and love where it just doesn't matter what happens to us. All I want is the best for anyone else and everyone else. How do we do that? We do that by remembering that we've already been delivered from sin. We don't have to sin. Has that ever occurred to you? When you became a Christian, you got a superpower. Your superpower is the indwelling Holy Spirit of God who every time you're uh, tempted says to you, you don't have to sin. You can follow Jesus in obedience right now. So when we say, what does it look like to trust the Lord or trust King Jesus? Trust actually means following him and obeying him, doesn't it? And we do that because the spirit of King Jesus lives inside of us and gives us the presence and power to resist temptation and live holy lives. Friends, 
Jesus is the only one who can deliver us from our real enemies, death and sin. And I submit to you that that's why Isaiah 38 and 39 exist. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for King Jesus. And I thank you for these two chapters, and I apologize that so often I I read the Bible with a, a me-centeredness. I, I just sometimes fall to the prosperity gospel, even in my own heart, where I, I just want things to be easy. I want to avoid suffering. I'm, I'm afraid of death. I just want to be feel secure and important. And I do that so often by gathering stuff and associating with the right people. So man, break me and break all of us of this stuff and, and help us to find our real hope in our only hope to be delivered from death and sin, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to thank you for sending him because the immortal Jesus died for us and the sinless Jesus became sin for us so that we can become the righteousness of God in him. That is a glorious gospel that should make us sing and sing and sing all the days of our life. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.